Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. little bit offended that there's no uh, clothing swap for the men, but never mind. I normally get mine from rent to tent anyway. So. <laughs> Folk, thank you for uh, coming out this morning. And, and uh, we carry on in our series on, um, in Haggai. And it's quite interesting to note that um, Haggai, uh, well, through Haggai, God warns the people. And, and sometimes they don't listen. In fact, most times they don't listen. And so God's got to tell them uh, straight in their face that, listen, uh, there is a simple way of doing things. Come back to me. And, and we know that, that through true repentance uh, and covenant faithfulness, God touches and blesses his people. We also know that, that through past generations, uh, we can be uh, affected. Uh, and also what we do now can affect future generations. So basically the principle of, of what's been sown in the past by our parents, we can reap. And what we sow now, our children will reap. And if you take that and, and you know, maximize that, that uh, principle is a biblical one that applies not only to our families, but to our nation as well. And so uh, Haggai uh, speaks powerful words. I've put a picture up there um, uh, about the army, and one of my corporals, uh, when I was in the army, uh, used to say that first is first and second is nowhere. And so when we had uh, inspection on officer's course, he would say, listen, this is my principle, first is first, second is nowhere. And so I began to get indoctrinated with that kind of thinking and uh, realized that as I was preparing this sermon today that, you know, that's what God wants with reference to our hearts and our minds and who we are. He wants us to put him first in all that we do. And if we have kind of an attitude that says, well, anything goes when it comes to spiritual things, then first things go out the window. But when it comes to uh, certain priorities, then we allow those things to, to take over. But here God speaks through Haggai, uh, and uh, I'll read Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. And it says this, On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. In other words, does it become holy? The priest said, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body, touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. 
Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone came to a heap of uh, or a vat of wine to draw 50 measures, there was only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have borne fruit, or have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. It was Albert Einstein who said, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And we know that that is the definition of insanity. So we do the same thing over and over again, knowing that it's not the best thing, but we expect a different result. And so Haggai uses a common way to get his point across. And he gives uh, two sermon illustrations uh, for them to try and understand, to, to apply a truth that hopefully will, will get them to think about their heart. And he says basically between verses 10 and 14, uh, the, these uh, things that are clean and unclean, uh, w- will they affect us? And, and so he says, uh, firstly, that if somebody has consecrated meat in their gown and is able to, uh, by mistake, touch some stew, does that stew become holy? And the priests said no. In fact, today, when we go to uh, our local supermarket and we ask for uh, some ham over the counter, they wrap it up for us. And we take it, we put it in our basket, but it's kept a little bit separate from everything else. Why? Because it's, it's, it's meat and, and for the sake of cleanliness, so it doesn't affect something else. And so that same principle applies there. As we have something that is uh, kept, needs to be kept separate, so we do that so it cannot tarnish anything else. And we do that for hygiene reasons now. Well, those days, they did it for purity reasons. So something that is holy, as it were, and consecrated could not be uh, mixed with something else, with some unholy food. And so Haggai asks, what if later on that part of the garment touches some other food? Does that other food, that's, that, uh, it, does that become holy? And again, no. And then he gives a second scenario. Uh, what happens if somebody touches a dead body, for example, and goes and touches the, uh, a live body, does it make them clean again? And he says, no, uh, it doesn't. Uh, and so uh, in verse 13, we, we begin to read this principle. And so Haggai's point is this, that good things do not automatically make other things good. But also, bad things do not make other things bad. 
And so what is he trying to teach us? That, that basically because one thing is pure, it doesn't make something else pure. But when one thing is impure, it can make something else impure. And so that's, it's very, very important to understand this because their heart was in the wrong place, you see. And so they thought, well, if we do something that's right, it will correct something that's wrong and then we'll just go back to that thing that's wrong and we'll expect it to become right. Well, let me try and give you two modern-day illustrations. Assuming uh, we have sour milk in the fridge and my, my wife goes and buys new milk and I say, well, if we just fill up the sour milk with this new milk, it'll become fine because the one is good, the other one is bad. Well, I wouldn't be here to tell the story if that was the case. Why? Because you cannot put good milk into the sour milk and expect it to become good. Okay? So bad, good, it doesn't work that way. Or perhaps I get stopped uh, driving my car uh, and uh, the traffic cop says, Sir, you didn't stop at the stop street. I'm going to write you a ticket. No, 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 wait, please, sir, wait. I promise you I'll stop there twice tomorrow. And if I stop there twice tomorrow, that will cancel the one now. And the cop says, nice, do a breathalyzer test as well, you know, while you're here. Because you're talking, you know, unfathomable language here. It does not make sense. But you know what? I didn't stop now, but I'll stop there twice tomorrow. It doesn't make rational sense. So good things are not always the remedy for bad things. And so what is the application here uh, in verse 14? He says uh, that, that, listen, whatever they do and whatever they offer is defiled. And the word defiled there in the Hebrew, tame uh, means it is foul. It is polluted, it is unclean. So when something is unclean and tarnished, and I try and do good, it still stays unclean and tarnished. Why? Because it's done with the wrong attitude of heart. And they would not get that principle. And so we say, well, what is the bad that they have done? How bad can it be that whenever they do something, it can't become good enough? Well, he says to them, you've postponed the work of the temple. You know, you have not taken it serious. You have put your own comforts before the things that God has instructed. You've also put your own needs above the needs that are required for the temple. And then he says to them, if you push back anything that... Uh, doesn't feel good and might inconvenience you, then that is not good. And so he is wanting them to get uh, this attitude of heart that uh, needs to be consecrated and become holy because whatever they touch now becomes unholy because of the attitude of heart. You know, we often think, well, I'll just come to God, and if I put another coin in the vending machine, God will produce the answer to what I need. And that doesn't work because my heart is not in the right place. Well, God is maybe like a Father Christmas for some, that, that when I need Him, I come to Him, and then He gives me what I need. And so we often think and understand God to our own little boxes, rather than to what God requires and who God is according to the Scriptures. 
And so he wants them to focus their attention. He's been reminding them for the last 16 years. And a lot of the people are still not devoted to him. So God brings them, you know, and says to them, a few of your worthy acts does not obliterate or undo all the bad stuff that you've done before. But I want you to consecrate your heart, is what he's saying. Because whatever you touch with that dirty heart becomes contaminated. Because your hands are dirty, as it were. Because your heart is impure. Folk, I really believe that God is a merciful God. And by virtue that he reveals that to us is a long way forward. It's a long way forward. And so, thank God that he warns through the prophet Haggai. And he tells us over and over again that, that you know, we, we can't uh, be doing things that we think will make them right when the heart is not in the right place. Because that is hard work and it becomes drudgery and we're doing it with the wrong attitude. And so, you know, I think what God is wanting us to have is rather than circumcision in the flesh, which they knew all about, God was wanting them to have circumcision of the heart. Now let me fast forward a little bit to the New Testament, because we know that in Luke chapter 2, Jesus was circumcised as a little Jewish boy. We know that. And so that tradition was followed. But we also read in Romans chapter 2 verse 29 that it talks about the circumcision of heart. That, you know what, if the, if the flesh is circumcised uh, as a little Jewish boy, that does not make you pure. What God requires in the New Testament is circumcision of heart. And that Greek word circumcision, peritomi, means to be separated from the unclean. To be separated from the unclean. You see, in the Old Testament, the little boys were separated uh, or were circumcised by the eighth day for, for cleanliness. For purity reasons. In the New Testament, God wants us to be circumcised in heart so we are separated from the things of this world because He's a holy God. He's a, he, he, he wants us to be other, to be different because He dwells within us. You see, good and bad cannot dwell together. Light and darkness cannot dwell together. And the best way to have the light to shine the brightest is not to get rid of the bad first and then the good comes in. No, as you bring the light in, so it exposes the darkness. We know that darkness exists. Darkness is present. The only way to get rid of the darkness is to turn the light on. To turn the light on. And so he's saying, listen, I want you to be separated. I want you to be, um, to, to be separated from something that is unclean and truly consecrated to God. To remove that spiritual impurity so you're sold out for the things of God. Oh, that's radical, Christophides. Well, folk, to follow Jesus is radical. It's radical. It's not kind of, you know, giving my second best. Because when it comes to the things of God, first is first. And if we don't click that, if we don't catch that, then it's dangerous. And so he warns them. He warns them, be careful, there will be judgment. 
There will be judgment in that next slide. And he calls on the people to, to recognize this, uh, just how bad their life was when, when they neglected God. And he speaks about it in verses 15 and 16, where, where he says, Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10. So he wants them to consider. That word consider means to purpose your mind in order to understand. Purpose your mind in order to understand. Place your mind in such a position that you begin to think, how am I living Is it pleasing God or is it not pleasing God? Is there purity and holiness or is there impurity and unholiness? And so be careful because there will be judgment. And it continues with these examples because they constantly fell short to what God expected. What does he want? Well, he wants a circumcised heart. And we read in verse 17, You cannot be carrying on doing the same thing over and over again and expecting blessing. And so he says, I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail. I did a bit of a word study on some of these. The word struck, I beat it. (laughs) All the works of your hands, you worked hard, you thought, well, there will be fruit from it. No, but I had to flatten it. I had to kill those little seeds that you planted, not so they could uh, grow, but I had to kill them forever. The irony in all of that. That word um, struck means to murder. <laughs> to, to, I, I made it so bad and in order for you to get what I was talking about. Consider it. Put your mind in a position so you begin to recognize without denying what's going on in your life is what God is saying. And folks, that's good news. It's good news. My beautiful dad died at the age of 61 as an alcoholic, and we said, Dad, you've got a drinking problem. No, it's all right. Everything is fine. Everything is fine. Dad, drinking two bottles of whiskey a day is not good. Is my money. Everything is all right. We sent him for rehab. Dad, you're going for rehab. No, I'm going to lose weight. When you're in denial, folk, it will kill you. It will kill you because the wages of sin is death and God comes and he warns them over and over again. Listen, I want to bless you, but I want your heart to be cut out for me and for me alone. Holiness. And so we read here, I struck the work of your hands with blight. That word blight only appears seven times in the whole Bible. Mildew appears six times in the whole Bible. And hail, that appears many, many times. And so he wanted them to realize that they'd failed God and they had not honored him and put him first. Yet you did not return to me. Despite all these other things that have happened, you still did not return to me. The word return there uh, in the Hebrew in verse 17 means, you know, you, you were without me. You were, I was persona non grata for you. I was a non-entity. I was nothing. In other words, you did things without considering who I am. Perhaps you went for a job and you, you know, you flicked a coin. Uh, you, you had two jobs. You know, uh, heads, I'll go to this one, tails, I'll go to this one. Without even considering who God is. Folk, God still speaks through his word. 
And if we look for an answer, we will find it. And as we open it up and we look for God to speak to us, He speaks with bold, italics, underlined. You could have read something many, many times, but God will reveal who He is and what He wants for you and for me through His Word. They could not even allow God to be part of the picture. And He warns them, there's a problem And he says to them, analyze the problem. You have neglected God. You've not put him first. Why? Because your hearts are not circumcised for him. Secondly, there's this prediction. After they analyze the problem and and, and Haggai speaks to them, there's this prediction uh, and a very strong message that nothing will be better unless there is real change. And that's where insanity comes in, where I do the same thing over and over again, and I expect something different. Well, God says there's got to be change. And we read it in verses 18 and 19, where he says, From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought. Consider, again, he says it. And he he warns us again. Think about what you're doing. Don't just do it, because there could be a problem. And so he says, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Again, second time, give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn until now? The vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have borne not fruit. And so that word born, the chickens have not given eggs. And what do chickens do? They lay eggs. (laughs) The chickens have not given eggs. You know what? You've not even gone to see if that water is flowing. You've just left it like that. And folk, we we used to walk in the army, and uh, when our water bottles were empty, we'd look for water when we were on patrols. And, you know, you get to a little puddle of water, and you go, wow, there's water there. But you have to see whether it's flowing or not, because if it's not flowing, it's got bacteria and sicknesses and diseases in it. And so you'll get sick. But if you go to a a flowing river, you'll see that that is life-giving, it's good. And he's saying, consider that. Why the chickens are not giving eggs? Why your, your barns are empty? Why the water's not flowing? There's something going on. Consider what's going on. Because if you don't, there's going to be a problem. Look at the facts, he's saying. Face the reality. Because insanity is taking place if you are doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a change. So he gives them a warning. A warning. And what's the warning? You must truly repent and good, put God above all else in your lives. Be careful. We say, well, you know what, we turn God on on Sundays and that's enough. You know, we come (laughs) to church, there's a guy in the front there, normally short, reads the Bible, you know, tells us a bit of a story or five, you know, and then we go home. That's not enough, folk, because God wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And so we have this judgment and then the prediction that, that be careful. And then there's a recommendation, praise God, there's good news. In verse 17, the recommendation is return to me. Return to me. In other words, put me in the picture. Allow me to become somebody in your life every moment of the day. 
Now, folk, we can get extremely pedantic and go, you know what, Lord, I'm turning into this parking lot here, and so, Lord, you know, I need a parking space. You know, it's full, it's busy. Lord, give me a parking space. Uh, Lord, please, you know, and so God gives you one. But another time, he gives you one far away. We can get as radical as that, or we can make sure that God is part of our lives every moment without getting legalistic. So there's a re- return to me, come back to me, because the past you have ignored me. I have not been part of your life. And so sometimes we think, well, you know, can God ever forgive me? Can God, I, I've done so much bad stuff in my life, can God ever forgive me? Well, folk, 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. God is love, and he longs to love you, and he longs to love me. And that word love, there's the Greek word agapi, which means it's, a, it's an undeserved love. And so there's nothing I can do to ever deserve his love, but because God is love, he's not, it's not the love that is, he's my friend. That's phileo. It's not kind of the sexual love, that's eros. It's not this family love, that's storhi. It's not this acquaintance love. It's a love that moves away from egocentric self that put Jesus Christ on the cross for you and for me. That's the love that God is. And he wants you and me to come back to him. Why? Because God entered into covenant with his people. Into covenant. Not a business contract. You messed up. Contract is cancelled. Zero tolerance, contract is cancelled. You're out of here, you're expelled. No, it's a covenant. Remember with the prodigal son? There are two sons. The younger son, a little bit rebellious, goes to the father and, and says, Father, I want my inheritance early. In other words, he wishes his father dead. That's kind of in brackets. And so, father gives him his inheritance, and he goes and he squanders it. And then the Bible says, when the son came to his senses, can I try and make that applicable to us? When he considered his thinking, give careful thought, Haggai says. When the son gave careful thought to what he was doing, he packed his bags and he went straight back home. And So the father is there having a little nightcap before his dinner, and he sees somebody in the distance. And we know the story so well. Instead of actually the son with fear and trepidation coming through and the father getting his shotgun ready, the Bible says that the father runs to, the father runs to his son and he jumps on him and he kisses him and he says, kill the fatted calf, give him a new robe, give him new sandals. My son that was lost has now come home. Why? Because God is love. And there is nothing you and I can ever do, nothing in our past that can ever block that from who God is. God loves us and he wants us back to himself. Not only for ourselves, but for the future generations. He's a loving God. Maybe my father was bad news on earth. And that's why I cannot fathom how amazing God is. Because here is a loving God that takes me and he calls me his child. He calls me his friend. And he loves me 
just as I am. But you know what? He loves me too much to leave me the way I am because he's a good God and he wants the best for me and he wants the best for you. That is the God who we serve. He says, return to me. And then finally, there's a blessing. Verse 19. He says, from this day on, I will bless you. I will allow you to prosper. That's what the the word blessing means. It means I will allow you to be added to. Why? Because I love you. There is a, a, a beautiful blessing that comes. In relationship, God wants to restore that. And he wants to give us joy again. Not happiness. Happiness comes from McDonald's ice creams and from Tim Tams, as you can see. But he he wants to restore that joy. And the word joy, chara, is the same root word for grace, chari. His favor is upon you and upon me. And he fills us up with joy despite our circumstances. And so what does he say? Your harvests will prosper You will have enough food to eat. And most of all, I will bring you back into the right covenantal relationship with me. But consider what you've done. You know, when Solomon built that first temple, God gave him a bit of a warning. And perhaps that warning should have uh, been for those people and perhaps even for you and for me today. And you know that passage well in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and seek my face and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Folk, I think that often we have this negative Christianity. You know, I first need to get rid of my past before I can come to God. No, when we seek his face, it's like the light comes on. When the light comes on, that negativity, that past goes. The darkness flees. And so God calls his people, and he goes the extra mile for them. Remember the parable of the lost sheep? There's 99 sheep and one is missing, the shepherd goes after that one. There is a lost coin from the lady's headdress. Many other coins there, but she turns the house upside down uh, to find that one coin. The prodigal son comes to his senses and he comes back and the father takes him back with open arms. And so, two final lessons that we can learn The first one is that the good in our lives can't be used to balance the bad in our lives. The good can never balance the bad. You see, that fresh milk doesn't make that sour milk fresh. Officer, I will stop twice tomorrow. No, take this fine and learn your lesson. Consider what you've done wrong. And you say, well, my life is is not too bad. You know, I haven't really murdered anybody and haven't really committed major sins. I'm not too bad with people. I'm kind to them. I give money to charity every now and then. Yeah, I try to be a good neighbor. You know, there's a lot of people worse off than me. I don't really need a God. 
Well, you know what? Everything in moderation. Well, you know what Jesus says? I want you to put me first. Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, God wants to bless us, but the, the awesome thing is that he wants to take us back. God truly wants to take us back. And there is nothing, nothing that can ever stop him taking us back. It's more than him giving us a second chance. Because he gives me a second chance and I go back to my vomit again. It's a second chance to be able to, to do the bad again. He wants my heart to be circumcised and totally consecrated for him. In his book, Patrick Morley writes that the church's integrity problem is in the misconception that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. It is a change in a belief without a change in behavior. And I'm hoping that we consider our thinking, we consider our lifestyle, and we ask God to come in. Look back and remember our disobedience, but look forward to anticipate a, a blessing. To anticipate a blessing. Folk, in that next slide there, you'll see that there are three circles. In the first circle, you can see Jesus on the outside of the circle. And that kind of is the natural person. You see that, that, that throne in the, in the H, you know, um, the small H there is the throne or the control center of my life. E is me sitting on that throne. I'm in charge. And those little dots are the various interests I have in my life. Well, I go to them and every now and then, uh, you know, I, I have them in order. But Christ is on the outside. And then you have that middle circle where we have the carnal person. And that carnal person is that Jesus is on the inside of the circle, you see. See the cross, it's on the inside. But I'm still on the throne of my heart. My ego, my pride is still on the throne. And, you know, the interests are a little bit scattered around all over the place as well. And then the third one there, the spiritual person. The spiritual person. And who is that? It's that person who allows Jesus to sit on the throne of their heart. In other words, they put Jesus first. Why? Because their hearts are circumcised for him. Their hearts are circumcised for him. I have a little badge on my Bible it says Jesus first. It says Jesus first. Every time I look at my Bible, I have to ask the question, am I putting Jesus first? Am I putting Jesus first? That's a major challenge for me. Oh, Lord, you know I'm a pastor. Lord, you know that I'm doing the right things. Lord, you know that you know, I'm teaching people what the Bible says. Lord, I'm even using the Greek to explain it, Lord, you know. Jesus says to me, are you putting me first? Are you consecrated for me? 
peritomi. Are you separated to the things that I've called you to do? You might be reading your Bible. You might be doing all these things. But is Jesus first in my life? Simple question. Is Jesus first in your life? Is Jesus first in your life? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Lord, thank you no matter how much we try, we can never accomplish what you've done for us on the cross of Calvary. Lord, we do so many different things to to circumcise the flesh or or to, to put it down. But Lord, unless our hearts are circumcised for you, we make no progress. And so we want to acknowledge, Lord, that it's not by might nor by power, but only by your Holy Spirit. For you've called us to a holy life. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Peter. Let's all stand and sing our final song to the Lord this morning.